add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit michiganlottery.com to add a little play to your day. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Hot, hot, hot. That's what it is here in Southern California. Uh, And sadly, that is what has literally sparked so many fires, two of which are the largest in the history of the state of California's uh, history with fires. Uh, But we're going to be on fire today because our guest is the United Steelworkers, USW's Tom Conway. He is president of the USW. He's been on the program before. I always learn a lot from him. I'm sure you will, too. And especially in an election year where we saw in 2016 the power um, of the working class union working voter. And we're going to see that, I believe, again, and perhaps in bigger numbers this November 2020, this election year, this presidential election year. I want to tell you a bit about Mr. Conway. He's the union's most experienced contract negotiator in steel, aluminum, oil, and other major industries where the USW members work, often directing bargaining during crises. He's also a U.S. Air Force veteran. He grew up in a union family in New Jersey. His father was an active member of the International Union of Operating Engineers. His mother worked in a brush factory where she successfully organized a union and negotiated their labor contracts. Coming from two strong union workers and a strong union mama, I like that. More than a pleasure to have back on the program, President Tom Conway, president of the USW. President Conway, thank you for joining us. I know you're busy, especially in this election time and uh, pandemic COVID time. Very difficult for many people to run things uh, from home and and, and and, uh, online and in satellite uh, remote locations. So thank you for joining us today, sir. No, I'm happy to join, Leslie. I always enjoy being on your show with you. Thank you. Likewise, sir. I appreciate it. Um, It's very interesting because in 2016, some could argue that what pushed Donald Trump over the threshold to win and become president and put him in the White House uh, were the working class that many feel Hillary Clinton neglected, especially in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, and Pennsylvania. Um, and, and, and now when you see in the polls, uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump nearly uh, in a tie in places like Ohio, uh, leads by Joe Biden in some places that Donald Trump had a lead in the past and not by a, a healthy margin necessarily, uh, but sometimes outside that margin of error. Um, are you surprised uh, that 
the message from this president and, and thus far with the Republican National Convention this week has been more anti-worker when it's the workers they should thank for helping him get to the presidency and get the the first four years that he almost has under his belt now. Yeah, look, this, this president was pretty deft at understanding the angst of a lot of working class communities in those battleground states that you mentioned. And he reached out to them with an appeal and in some ways has followed through on it with tariffs and and um, and trying to focus on imports. But I, I think his success is not sort of deep rooted with him. And the difference this time, and I think the difference that you're seeing in the acceptance of Clinton in 2016 and the acceptance of Biden is that Biden equally understands this issue and has always been, you know, this they call the middle class Joe. He always understood the nature of jobs, the work he did in the Obama campaign on the infrastructure rebuild and restoring America. His his sort of background, where he comes from, his sort of Scranton background. And and Joe's working class connection both to unions and working Americans is much different than the campaign in 2016. So, look, I don't believe Biden is going to neglect visiting those states at all. I think he understands that he's going to have to fight hard for Michigan and Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Ohio, and everywhere else. But I think he's his acceptance there is much different than it was in 2016. And people, while they sort of think about, well, I, you know, at least Trump has done something, even though it's not been very elegant and it hasn't always worked, it's been something. I think now um, they'll have they'll have something else to work with, and they'll have someone who will be equally focused on that, and they don't have to feel so bad about their government. I I think this country knows that things under this president just aren't right for a whole host of reasons. I mean, when you look at how many of his appointees and friends and buddies have been convicted or going to jail, or, or you just look at the constant swirl of chaos around this whole administration and the failure to deal with the early days of the pandemic and kind of wishing it away. And, and I think the country is seeing something that, look, this is not someone we like. And Biden um, is someone who we can trust to be honest with us. And I think it's going to be much different outcome. Yeah. You know, when you look back to, you know, why a lot of the working class, even union members voted for Donald Trump, uh, were promises he made, promises that he made regarding factories and production and manufacturing uh, and bringing jobs back. Uh, certainly he could not have at the time forecast uh, the uh, coronavirus pandemic, COVID-19. Um, but I want to talk about the NR NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board. Uh, that is a federal agency responsible for protecting workers' rights. And according to the NLRB, this president, Donald Trump, has actually done the opposite 
uh, in this administration with regard to protecting workers' rights. So in addition to not keeping promises, he's further endangered the, the workers with their rights and their freedoms, if you will, and, and their ability, uh, whether it's an ability to bargain or an, an ability to be safe uh, because of regulations on a certain industry, uh, the list go on. Um, so is it fair to say that the president and this administration are, in a sense, um, silencing workers' voices by defending the big guy, the corporations, over the middle class, the working class, the majority of this nation? While while he will stand up during his convention or any other time and sort of tout himself as a protector of workers, and and there are some who will look simply solely at the tariffs and think, well, that's been somewhat helpful to some segment of the economy. This president is no friend to workers, and in particular, no friend to unionized workers. And in 2017, the Chamber of Commerce produced actually a wish list of the things that they wish they could get done by the administration. And they had the top 10 list of things that they hoped the Trump board could do for them. And that board has delivered or is in the process of delivering on every one of those issues. And they have to do with delaying elections, you know, overturning certifications, weakening rules for people to be able to streamline and get to an election process, overturning um, decisions on joint employers, forcing workers who aren't typically in unions, but, but the National Labor Relations Act is designed for that, into arbitration. And so through a series of rules changes, even when there's not a case in front of them, they make a rules change and a regulation change that sort of changes case law and, and are so aggressive and such an activist board in terms of trying to frustrate a union's ability to, to organize, to bring forward its cases. It's, it's, on its changed its management's rights clause and its reading of that has gone so far as to really get into kind of typical classic free speech issues between a union and an employer and is now opening that up to discipline. Um, It's just a whole host of union oppression things that, that they are systematically going about the members of that board and the general counsel to the board. And that's really nothing within the charter of this board to do. That, that's not their role. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with USW's president, and uh, we'll be back with you. Don't go away. We're talking about workers. We're talking about workers' rights. We're talking about the unions. And once again, in an election year, we're hearing from the right, a Republican administration demonizing these unions. More to come right after this. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. We are back. We talked to President Tom Conway, and we're talking about 
President Trump's anti-union NLRB. It's a recent blog post, and in it, President Conway details its union-busting tactics. And those, by the way, have chipped away at long-established rights and practices that allow workers to organize for better lives. The title, A Thousand Cuts. You can read it at usw.org, and we also repost on all of my social media sites uh, so that all of you out there, working class union or otherwise, uh, can and can get a good read. Uh, President Conway, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Um, let's talk about and break this down and talk about some examples. The NLRB imposed additional steps. Am I correct? It required uh, to the union election procedure. Um, and, and many would say these additional required steps were solely to stall the process, giving employers, the corporations, more time to squash the efforts of the organizers to unionize, correct? Right, exactly. And look, every employer out there knows that if he can drag it out and he can delay what the workers want to do, he can then reach in there, do a lot of intimidation, hold a lot of meetings, force employees into a lot of uncomfortable situations, hire a union busting firm to come in and really scare people and terrorize them about their jobs. So the employer and their and their firms always look for delay. And this board is just facilitating that. And rather than go to an election that's quick and straightforward and, and controlled and governed by the government, this board has now taken the place of the union busters in some ways and has slowed it down, is forcing the union to sort of get drugged through extra processes and really frustrating the will of people to do what the law was designed to allow them to do. Um, also, uh, the NLRB made it possible for employers to withhold information, contact information, with, which obviously people need if they're going to organize, email addresses of employees. Uh, that makes communication much more difficult uh, between union officials and, uh, you know, either even four persons, you know, on the job who are not just trying to communicate, um, you know, with people that have desired to organize, desired to unionize, yeah, maybe just people who have some simple questions or maybe some other members who have some issues who are new to the job, correct? Look, one of the sort of tenets of organizing is once a union demonstrates that it has a majority of or, or, or it has a percentage of employees who want to join a union or express that interest, the union then is entitled to a list of who's who's working there and what jobs they're working in and what their contact information is. And that's been in place for decades. And now this board is trying to undo that to frustrate it to not reveal that information and just make it more difficult for the union to be able to reach out in its workplace and organize its own workers and to be able to talk to them. And, and now they've gone so far that even if they're in the workplace and, and maybe utter the word union, they can be disciplined and charged for it. So you know, I was uh, pre President Conway. Can. Forgive the interruption. I I I read about that. That employers can now legally discipline workers just for mentioning a union drive to another coworker while at work. Um, do, doesn't the the Constitution, the First Amendment, with with free speech, um, uh, you know, uh, trump that? No pun intended. There. I mean, this. Well, how can a corporation legally so, discipline workers for that? 
You would think so. But here's an agency that is really sort of run amok of what it was designed to do. And if, and, and if people would go back and read the original Wagner Act and understand what it was meant to do, which was encourage people to join unions or to work collectively with each other in or without a union, be able to improve their lot and their standing with their employer and to provide some balance. And this is just tearing all that balance out of there, putting it all on the side of the employer and making it impossible. And if not, if not impossible, at least very difficult for workers to be able to come together and have a discussion. And one of the things I've never understood and and it's frustrating for unions to, when, when workers are trying to organize and, and so how they can get seduced by some of these um, union avoidance firms that are out there. But, but that company who they're dealing with would never do business with its suppliers, with its vendors, with its customers, with each other. The management has employment contracts amongst each other. But if the workforce asks for a contract, the same as any other entity they do business with, uh, oh, that's terrible. That idea is terrible. And we got to do everything we can to possibly stop that. When people ought to be able to have in writing the conditions under which they're working and what they're going to get paid and how it's going to work at work. And to, to think that that's such a, a bizarre, onerous request just baffles me. And, and people need to see this as just the same business transaction that takes place with that company in every other relationship that they have. Uh, I want to talk about um, a ruling in the state of Oregon that the NLRB sought to overturn. Uh, that ruling would have employers not force employees to attend anti-union meetings. Now, if that ruling gets overturned, the workers will get even harder by coercion from the upper management, from these large corporations. Uh, they will be fear-mongering, and, and that, in a sense, obviously is the goal to weaken the potential for successful union organizing drives. So talking about the potential, uh, if the NLRB overturns that law in the state of Oregon, then employers are going to ramp up the coercion, ramp up and launch anti-union campaigns every bit as brutal as we saw at the uh, Kumo Tire uh, factory waged against workers three years ago uh, in Macon, Georgia. And, am I correct right. in that? And, do, and does that become like a, a domino effect no. and start to spread that's, to other states? That's exactly what happened. The Oregon has a law that says you cannot force them into these so-called captive audience museums where you fill the room with employees, they bring in their outside attorney, and their union busting council, and they stand there for a couple hours and just drilling into employees about why they don't want a union. And in this case, the NLRA is threatening to overrule that in the case of Oregon. And so employees that, you know, the company will spend whatever it has to spend to take people off of the job, put them in this room and run these indoctrinations and, and force them to be there whether they want to be there or not, and hold them essentially as a captive audience while they're forced to sit and listen to the, to the company or the, the union busters pitch. 
and um, and that's what they're looking to undo in Oregon. So the idea that there ought to be a fairness, there's no fairness in this. This this act is working on behalf of the employer to insist that he can do whatever he wants with his employees. Absolutely. President Conway, hang tight. We're going to take a break. Go to the website, USW.org. Follow them on Twitter at Steelworkers. Back after this. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. President Tom Conway, and we're talking about President Trump's anti-union NLRB. It's a recent blog post, and in it, President Conway details its union-busting tactics. And those, by the way, have chipped away at long-established rights and practices that allow workers to organize for better lives. The title, A Thousand Cuts. You can read it at usw.org, and we also repost on all of my social media sites uh, so that all of you out there, working class union or otherwise, uh, can and can get a good read. Uh, President Conway, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Um, let's talk about and break this down and talk about some examples. The NLRB imposed additional steps. Am I correct? It required uh, to the union election procedure um, and, and many would say these additional required steps were solely to stall the process, giving employers, the corporations, more time to squash the efforts of the organizers to unionize, correct? Right, exactly. And look, every employer out there knows that if he can drag it out and he can delay what the workers want to do, he can then reach in there, do a lot of intimidation, hold a lot of meetings force employees into a lot of uncomfortable situations, hire a union-busting firm to come in and really scare people and terrorize them about their jobs. So the employer and their, and their firms always look for delay, and this board is just facilitating that. And rather than go to an election that's quick and straightforward and, and controlled and governed by the government, this board has now taken the place of the union busters in some ways and has slowed it down, is forcing the union to sort of get drugged through extra processes and really frustrating the will of people to do what the law was designed to allow them to do. Um, also, uh, the NLRB made it possible for employers to withhold information, contact information, which obviously people need if they're going to organize, email addresses of employees. Uh, that makes communication much more difficult uh, between union officials and, uh, you know, either even four persons, you know, on the job who are not just trying to communicate, um, you know, with people that have desired to organize, desired to unionize, yeah, maybe just people who have some simple questions or maybe some other members who have some issues who are new to the job, correct? Look, one of the sort of tenets of organizing is once a union demonstrates that it has a majority of or, or, or it has a percentage of employees who want to join a union or express that interest, the union then is entitled to a list of who's who's working there. 
and what jobs they're working in and what their contact information is. And that's been in place for decades. And now this board is trying to undo that, to frustrate it, to not reveal that information and just make it more difficult for the union to be able to reach out in its workplace and organize its own workers and to be able to talk to them. And, and now they've gone so far that even if they're in the workplace and, and maybe utter the word union, they can be disciplined and charged for it. So You know, I was, uh, uh, Pre- President Conway, forgive the interruption, I, I, I read about that, that employers can now legally discipline workers just for mentioning a union drive to another coworker while at work. Um, do, doesn't the, the Constitution, the First Amendment, with, with free speech, um, uh, you know, uh, trump that? No pun intended there. I mean, this well, how can a corporation legally so, discipline workers for that? So. You would think so. But here's an agency that is really sort of run amok of what it was designed to do. And if, and, and if people would go back and read the original Wagner Act and understand what it was meant to do, which was encourage people to join unions or to work collectively with each other in or without a union, be able to improve their lot and their standing with their employer and to provide some balance. And this is just tearing all that balance out of there, putting it all on the side of the employer and making it impossible. And if not, if not impossible, at least very difficult for workers to be able to come together and have a discussion. And one of the things I've never understood, and, and it's frustrating for unions to, when, when workers are trying to organize, and, and so how they can get seduced by some of these um, union avoidance firms that are out there. But, but that company who they're dealing with would never do business with its suppliers, with its vendors, with its customers, with each other, the management has employment contracts amongst each other. But if the workforce asks for a contract, the same as any other entity they do business with, uh, oh, that's terrible. That idea is terrible. And we got to do everything we can to possibly stop that. When people ought to be able to have in writing the conditions under which they're working and what they're going to get paid and how it's going to work at work, and to think that that's such a, a bizarre, onerous request just baffles me. And, and people need to see this as just the same business transaction that takes place with that company in every other relationship that they have. Uh, I want to talk about um, a ruling in the state of Oregon that the NLRB sought to overturn. Uh, that ruling would have employers not force employees to attend anti-union meetings. Now, if that ruling gets overturned, the workers will get even harder by coercion from the upper management, from these large corporations. Uh, they will be fear-mongering. And, and that, in a sense, obviously, is the goal to weaken the potential for successful union organizing drives. So talking about the potential, uh, if the NLRB overturns that law in the state of Oregon, then employers are going to ramp up the coercion, ramp up and launch anti-union campaigns every bit as brutal as we saw at the uh, Kumo Tire uh, factory waged against workers three years ago uh, in Macon, Georgia. 
Am, am I correct right. in that? And, do, and does that become like a, a domino effect no. and start to spread that's, to other states? That's exactly what happens. Oregon has a law that says you cannot force them into these so-called captive audience museums where you fill the room with employees, they bring in their outside attorney and their union busting council, and they stand there for a couple hours and just drill it into employees about why they don't want a union. And in this case, the NLRA is threatening to overrule that in the case of Oregon. And so employees, the, you know, the company will spend whatever it has to spend to take people off of the job, put them in this room and run these indoctrinations and, and force them to be there whether they want to be there or not, and hold them essentially as a captive audience while they're forced to sit and listen to the, to the company or the, the union busters pitch. And, um, and that's what they're looking to undo in Oregon. So the idea that there ought to be a fairness, there's no fairness in this. This, this act is working on behalf of the employer to insist that he can do whatever he wants with his employees. Absolutely. President Conway, hang tight. We're going to take a break. Go to the website, usw.org. Follow them on Twitter at Steelworkers. Back after this. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. We are back. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. And we continue our conversation in this last segment of the hour with President Tom Conway, president of the United Steelworkers. As I mentioned, please go to the website to learn more, usw.org. You can follow on both Twitter and Instagram at Steelworkers. Um, uh, President Conway, thank you uh, for holding. Uh, When we talk about those forced meetings, anti-union meetings, in which a corporation is trying to bully workers to not unionize, use fear tactics, tell them that, hey, you know, you're going to have your hours cut, maybe lose your job. Aren't they hurting them into like, you know, anti-union meeting rooms, conference rooms, despite the need for social distancing, further endangering that employee? I know that may sound kind of petty, well, but it, it did just cross my mind. No, of course it happens that way. And, and you know, certain employers have been... Um, paid attention to the social distancing, but, you know, when this all first started, we had a fair amount of fights with a lot of employers about the conditions at work. And, and so it's something that we have to constantly monitor and make sure that, that no one is just sort of breaking the, the law or, or not following the CDC guidelines and herding people together. Um, but this is not a time when you take your workforce and shove them all in a room just to be able to run your propaganda program on them. And um, and it goes on all the time. So, look, this this sadly has become the routine for unionized workers and, and workers attempting to unionize under this National Labor Relations Board. And. It is a constant fight and and unions are constantly filing charges and pushing back and fighting about this. And, and, you know, if you had an administration who thoughtfully understood the inequality that's out there, tried to build some equity back in 
you would say to your board, look, I want people to get into unions. I want that's that's a one tool we can use to regain some strength and to pull some of the money from the top back towards the workforce and and begin to correct this. And it's not all related to unions. Some's been the impact of technology, but the decline of unions has led to so much of this. And you know, wages for the top one percent have grown 150 percent over the last. 30 years and the top 90, the bottom 90% combined, they seem like a 21% growth. And this gap just keeps widening. So if you wanted to deal with that, the agency designed to facilitate unionization in collective bargaining, you would take the handcuffs off of them. You would tell them, look, I want people to be able to do this, not impede them. But this agency really works for corporations and the voice of employers who don't want to feel, deal fairly with their workforce and want to be able to slow that down and frustrate that and not let them get together in a room with the employer. And they become a tool of, of, um, of those corporations as so much as in this government in deregulation and so much that we see rolled out. Um, in food services and inspections and and infrastructure inspections and the the things that government was designed to do to stand between the very powerful and the rest of the country um they, they just don't do that they have aligned themselves with the very powerful you know an an nlrb should enforce labor rights because especially at a time like this um, with COVID-19 at a time like this when unemployment is just so high and it's certainly damaging uh, to the economy, but more so to individuals' lives and to their livelihood. And I, I think that's going to lead to, you know, people being, you know, evicted and higher homelessness and, and people losing their homes. And it and it could just, it could just you know, go crazy and balloon from there. I, I, I hope not. Uh, but, you know, we, we don't have this virus under control. Um, so if you enforce labor rights, um, you're helping to build better lives for millions of Americans, Americans for which this nation, quite frankly, owes gratitude for being built on, on, on the backs of. So uh, l- let me ask you, President Conway, what can uh, uh, what can an American do? What can a voter do? We know that the president nominates the members of the NLRB uh, and the general counsel for the NLRB. And we also know that the Senate, who are elected by We the People, confirms those nominations. Look, Americans cannot afford to not be active in their government. And and really, you cannot take your vote for granted. And, you know, we all say every election, this is the most important election of our lifetimes. This may very well be the most important election in the lifetime of our country. And so people who don't like what's going on need to get themselves out and get an administration in place who understands this, who will be, who is willing to have a discussion with unions, willing to understand the problems and to put programs and policy in place to turn these things around. And that's, that's how we're going to do it. And this is a strong, 
democracy. And, and you know, look, we're, we're all proud Americans. And, and we have, I have steel workers who do everything that this country needs done for them and build their munitions and build their armaments and build their infrastructure and, and take care of their children and drive them to school and take care of their sick. And, and these people just want a fair shake. And to not have the government aligned against them is not much to ask. And so, frankly, I think our way out of this is to vote and get everybody you know to vote with you. And, and the division in this country will heal up, heal up when you don't have someone who drives that division mm. as a tactic of staying in office. Amen. Absolutely. I mean, when you just look at the NLB, NLRB right now, they lean so heavily anti-worker. I mean, the board is five people. They have corporate lawyers like John Ring and William Emanuel. They even have a GOP congressional staffer, Marvin Kaplan. And when you look at their general counsel, Peter Robb, he is a longtime anti-union management side attorney. He's actually set in motion many of these anti-worker stances uh, since, uh, it, you know, the current uh, NLRB and, and, and most recent, recent actions have been taken. Um, the mission of the NLRB should be protect workers, right? To, to echo your sentiments, we must have federal officials in charge who truly care um, about labor rights. And this is another reason people have to get involved, not just voting for president, voting for the House, voting for the Senate, and let the people that you've elected, or let the people, even if you didn't elect them, but represent you, you're part of their constituency uh, in the district within your state or in that state, um, letting them know, hey, this this does not this does not wash with me. I'm not good with this. I don't approve of that person that's been put forth um, for this board. Look, it, your 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 citizenship doesn't end on election day. Once you walk out of the, the ballot place or put your ballot in the mail, it's not over for you. And you've got to keep an eye on your government. And we've always had to keep an eye on our government. And the way you do that is through communication with your representatives, from knowing what they're doing and what's going on, from keeping yourself informed and staying active in that. And, and that is the role of the citizen. So if the Senate is considering someone for one of these positions and, and we don't think he's the right person together, we need to voice that. They need yeah. to know that. They need to Absolutely. know what we think about it and that they'll be at risk if they don't do what the right thing is. And so keeping your government honest and on its toes is a, is a constant job for citizenry and, and one that that the country ought to take seriously. Just uh, in less than 60 seconds, last and final uh, thoughts that uh, you want to give uh, to the listeners and viewers uh, today who watch us on Periscope, Twitter Live, uh, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, uh, and listen to us on radio, podcast, stream, et cetera. Uh, President Conway, final thoughts? Look, I think we're at a turning point, and I think there is a growing sentiment out there, particularly amongst young people, that they've gotten a bad shake, mm. that they haven't been able to get on their feet, whether you're in the millennial generation or the one coming after that, and that collectively they understand there's power in doing things together. And so I think we could be at a place where this country is going to start to get things right and push back and fight back. And we see that in the street protests, and we see that in, in sort of a growing unrest in the nation. 
and we shouldn't be afraid of that. We should reach out and understand it and foster it because I think that's how we take our government back and get on the right kind of solid footing. I agree. Hey, that's called the post-President Conway. That's awesome. And I agree with you. United we stand, divided we fall, cliche, but true. Thank you for joining us. President Conway, you can read more about what the USW is doing or how you can uh, unionize and organize and unionize. Go to USW.org. And on Twitter and Instagram, follow them at Steelworkers. Happy Tuesday. Keep cool. It's pretty hot out there. And be safe during this time of COVID. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll talk to you very soon. Thank you for joining us. Here's some things we're against. Hidden fees, penalty charges, and higher rates that drain your household budget. At Michigan's Credit Unions, what we do can sometimes be best defined by what we don't do. It's how we offer lower rates on auto loans, lower mortgage closing costs, and a nationwide network of fee-free ATMs. To make every dollar you earn go further, go to a place that values you more. Click the banner to find a Michigan Credit Union.